Praise the Lord, everyone. It's good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. We have your Bible, so let's go to the book of Chronicles. I can get technology to cooperate. Chapter 3, verse 1 through 9, then Psalms chapter 51. Now these were the sons of David which were born unto him in Hebron. The firstborn Ammon of Hinnaam the Jezreelites, Daniel of Abigail the Carmelites, Absalom the son of Maacah, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, Adonijah, the son of Haggath, and Sephathiah of Abital, and Ethram of Eglah, his wife. And six were born unto him in Hebron. And here he reigned seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned 33 years. And these were born unto him in Jerusalem. Shammiah, Shobad, Nathan, and Solomon. Four of Bethshua, the daughter of Amiel. For Samuel chapter 14, or Second Samuel chapter 14 says, now these were the names of his children which he had in Jerusalem. Shammua, Shobad, Nathan, Solomon. Psalms chapter 51, beginning in verse 1. To the chief musician of Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet came unto him, after he had gone into Bathsheba, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, the only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. And for a few moments tonight, I want to talk to you about making peace with your past. Lord bless you, you may be seated. Before I begin tonight, uh, first I want to thank you for all your prayers for my wife. Uh, she went through her surgery very well. Uh, actually is doing very good. They had her climbing the stairs three days after she had her full knee replacement. And uh, uh, we're just thanking you for your incredible prayers. She can't stand it because she can't be here. And so, uh, if you'd continue hold her up in prayer, we'd appreciate that. You know, one of the things that I enjoy about Wednesday night is it brings back lots of memories. I remember on 2950 Broadway, Wednesday nights were always a time of Bible study. It wasn't just a study of the Word of God. There was always things that happened. Even though it was a Wednesday night, we were doing Bible studies. And the, the power of God would come in and we'd have great altar services afterwards. And that sometimes we get so busy trying to reach the world that we don't spend enough time teaching the Word of God I'm really convinced that that's one of the problems that we as a church have today is we were so convinced the Lord was coming that we quit teaching 
and made every service about revival. And as a result, we've raised three generations that really don't have much clue what the Bible says. We can tell you what it feels like, but we don't have a knowledge of the Word of God and the power of the Word of God to help change our life. God never intended for prayer to be a source of revelation. It's not His plan. Prayer is your source of power. Prayer connects you to God and allows you to spend time in His presence, which gives you the power you need to fix and change your life. Prayer without the Word of God makes you incredibly unbalanced. The Word of God is for revelation. The Word of God teaches us about life and how to live life, what life's really all about. There is not a problem to man that has not been addressed in the Bible. Not one. There are no issues that any of us face today that haven't been faced repeatedly since the garden. Matter of fact, I would say tonight as I spoke the last time I spoke to you that probably 80 to 90 percent of all of our problems that we have in life have something to do with our family. Well, that's been the problem since the garden, and it's still the problem. But the Word of God has the answer to every issue of our life, but we have to pay attention to what the Word of God says. So often we read the Word of God and we don't actually observe the details. And one of the things the Word of God does in a very remarkable way is give us details about life they sometimes are very minute. Sometimes if you don't pay attention to them, you don't even see them. But there are little details, subtle details, all the way through the Scripture that helps us understand the Scripture better if we pay attention to what the Scriptures say. In the book of Proverbs, David or Solomon says in the fourth proverb, he says, Hear ye children the instructions of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine. Forsake ye not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, Let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. Give wisdom Get wisdom and get understanding. Forget it not, neither decline from the words of my mouth. Forsake her not, speaking of wisdom, and she shall preserve thee. Love her and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom with all thy getting. Get understanding. We, we don't just need wisdom in our life. We need to be able to understand what the Word of God's trying to teach us. And where the Word of God is trying to direct us. Solomon writing, there are a lot of things he says that over the last 10, 12 years, I've often thought about and wondered what caused him to say some of these things. He says things like, the spirit of a man can sustain his infirmities, but a wounded spirit, who can bear? What caused Solomon to write those things. Where do you get that information from? Here he indicates that he is the only child of Bathsheba. Now I have just read to you from two different places, one in Samuel, one in Chronicles, that Bathsheba had five sons, not one. First one died. When we start looking at these things and putting them in order, it kind of gives a little bit different picture of the Word of God and what happens in people's lives. The Scripture says that God said of David, He is a man after mine own heart. But there is no one in the Word of God that was more human than David was. Let me rephrase that. 
There's no one in the Word of God struggle with their flesh any more than David did. We, we can talk about humanity and make it a glowing term, but when the Word of God speaks of it, it it's not a glowing term. It, it, it's a term of, that's negative. That this, this flesh is the battle zone. It's where the war takes place. It's, it's me fighting this flesh I live in. Word of God tells us, that the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and your minds. That's not a possibility. That's not a maybe so. When Paul writes to the church at Philippi, he doesn't say that it's possible that the peace of God might keep your heart and might keep your mind. He said it will or shall keep your hearts. Those are absolute terms. There's, there's not a possibility of it not happening. God's peace will guard. That's what the word keep means. God's peace will guard my heart, cardia, seat of the emotions, all of my passions, my, the things that make me human. God's peace will guard my heart. And then it will guard my mind. That word is noose. Vines translates it as the reflective conscience. It's all that stored data I have accumulated in my brain. That information I have. Now, if the peace of God keeps and guards, what kind of father invites his enemy over and says, here's my kids wreck their lives? What kind of father would, would, would put his kids in the way of being destroyed by the, his worst enemy? Who would do that? Satan is God's worst enemy. Satan caused chaos in heaven. When Satan fell, Heaven lost its peace until Jesus conquered him at a cross. Heaven was still in chaos up until the cross. But at the cross, as he is dying on the cross, Jesus' last words were, it is finished. And Barclay defines that statement. It's one little word. And what Jesus screamed was the word tetelestai. Barclay says it's a term that comes from the Olympids, and it's the term used to describe the actions and behavior of someone who just won an Olympic event. Jesus didn't say it's over or it's true or it's final. He screamed, I won. Not he's going to win or he might win in the future. He won in the past. He won at the cross, and because he won at the cross, all the power and the authority that that Satan had stole from Adam in a garden was taken from him, and it was given back to me and you so that we now have the ability to control and define what happens in our life. There's no devil going to wreck your life. But if Pentecostals don't have a good devil, they can't exist. They don't have nobody to blame for their problems. It's, it's, it's always somebody else's fault. It's never my fault. And we're all, we, we talk about the devil talking to us. Where do you get that scripture from? If the devil's talking to me, Paul says of the devil, don't give place to the devil. The literal translation says, don't build a room on your house for the devil to live in. If by chance he's bothering you, that indicates you invited him home. Tell him to leave. Peter said, resist the devil and he might, possibly, shall flee. When you say, devil get lost, He has to ask directions. Okay, where do you want me to go? I have the power to control his life. Folks, we 
are the devil's worst nightmare. We are. You ought to be getting up every morning and praying, God, what part of the devil's territory would you like rearranged today? Just point me in a direction. I want to cause him chaos. For 4,000 years, he wrecked God's kid's life. But at the cross, he gave the ability back to us to wreck his life. But we let stuff keep us from becoming what God has designed us to be. God didn't create us to barely make it to heaven. God didn't create us just to get by or or have the minimum of relationship. Folks, I can get as close to God as I want to. There is nothing that can keep me from getting close to Him. The only reason I don't is I don't like the responsibility that goes getting too close. So if I'm not spiritual, it's not his fault. I just don't want all the responsibility that goes. We're getting close enough to him to know what's really going on. So it's it's much easier to live in denial. And I'm convinced that we are willingly ignorant. We don't want to know because if we know, we're going to change. So it's easier just to act like we don't know so we can be happy talking about and, 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 and rehearsing what life has done, how bad it's been. I, I remember as a kid, if you ask somebody, how are you doing or, or how's your day? You know what their response was? Anybody want to guess? I'm living the blessed life. I have never enjoyed living life more than I live life right now. God has been good to me. And they'd start telling you what God had done to them. Well, somewhere in the 70s, we had to cut out testimony services because we couldn't praise God. We praised the devil. We got talking about what the devil was doing to us instead of what God was doing for us. And now here we are in 2018, and we have just been given the most incredible dose of what shame and guilt is all about over the last few weeks in America, and it's caused people to become retarded. You need to leave your past alone. You can't fix it. You can't change it. You won't get a better outcome. You won't get anything different. It is over, so get over it. God gave us the power to become sons of God. Sons of God. Daughters. Of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He entrusted me with the authority and the right to use his name anytime I need to. And to call on him anytime I need to. And that he would always be there. But our world's changed. My wife used to sing a song to my kids when they were young. I, she heard it as a kid, and it went something like, Nobody loves me. Everybody hates me. Think I'll eat some worms. Big, fat, juicy ones. And I don't remember the rest of it because it was disgusting to me. But <laughs> we would enjoy griping more than we enjoy praising God. Why? Because our past is controlling us. And our past is dictating everything that I do. Now, here's the problem, folks. The reason my past dictates my life has nothing To do with a devil. It has to do with that stuff you're living in. Called flesh. If my sin 
is removed as far as the east is from the west. And my sin is blotted out. Repent you therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall. If my sin has been erased, then where in the world does a devil get information to drag my past up and remind me of one thing I've done? Where does that information come from? Does he have this incredible ability to go drag it out from under the blood and say, oh, wow, look, this is what you were? When did he become bigger and better than God? When did he get more power than God has? He hasn't. He doesn't have that power. He doesn't have that ability. So if... My past has been covered by blood and my sins have been blotted out when I was buried in his name in baptism and a scalpel was applied to my life and he cut off all the sin of my life and circumcised my heart in the water and the New Testament covenant was applied to my life, which is baptism, which is the circumcision of the heart that replaces the circumcision of flesh in the Old Testament. Now it's a spiritual one that happens to the heart. And when I come up out of that water, all my sin remains in the water, and I'm no longer attached to that stuff. It's gone. But if it's gone... Then why does it keep haunting me? Why does the guilt and shame keep coming back? Why why does yesterday keep showing up and reminding me of of all this stuff and, and it keeps being brought back to the present? Who's doing that? Now, you think God has let down the perimeter of defense that keeps the devil out? Is there a break in the, in the angels surrounding my life? And, and so now there's, there's this hole that he can get in and get to me. Is, is that what happens? No. Now there is a record that still remains. Where is it? Located between your ears. And the only being that has access to what's between your ears is your flesh. And so it's your flesh that starts dragging up yesterday, last week, last month, last year, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and starts dragging it into the present because if your flesh can ever get you focused on your past, it knows you will never be spiritual. I haven't found one spiritual person that spends their life looking at their past. Not one. I've found lots of carnal people that spend their life looking back here. When you look at the life of David this afternoon, I, you know, trying to find numbers and stuff's kind of difficult. So I, I just did a lot of research today. And according to most Jewish scholars, not Christian, but Jewish, David was born somewhere around 1030 to 1035 B.C. He was anointed to be king somewhere around 1028 B.C., 12, 15 years of age, somewhere in that vicinity. At 30 years of age, he becomes king. So that puts the year at 1,000. At 38 years of age, he has conquered most of Israel's enemies and has become incredibly successful. He's achieved things for Israel that they have not achieved since they got back from Babylon or from Egyptian captivity. They now have a form of peace. And the Philistines are now terrified of them because the army of, of David has had some power. One of the wars that they fought, they didn't even have to fight. 
Because David inquired of the Lord, do I go to battle? And the Lord said, no, this one is mine. I'll take care of this one. And so when the Philistines approached, the Bible says that they were confitted. I'm not even sure what that really means. But whatever, they all died, either killing themselves. Israel didn't have to do one thing to win that battle. And as a result, that message got spread, and they become terrified of David and his armies and his people. So peace starts coming to the life of David. He's successful. He's doing great things. He's, he's conquered Jerusalem somewhere around eight years after he started reigning, reigning seven and a half years in Hebron, and then he conquers the city where Jerusalem is, and that becomes the head of his kingdom or his, his kingdom city. And so he, he's conquered Jerusalem. And someone in this process decided, you know, David, if you're our king, The world really needs to understand that you're really our king and, and and you're, you're just living in some of these houses that are here. We, we need to make you a place to live that's befitting of a king. And so his men got together and they found someone to build David a palace. And that happens somewhere between 38 and 40 years of age. A palace is built. Now, in Hebron, there's a bunch of kids been born. And these kids start growing up in the king's house. And, and they're just not, you, you wouldn't put them up as the, uh, the, the family everybody wants to model their family after. They, they, you got six boys already that showed up by six different women. They don't like each other. They, they all got issues. And, and there's this own, they're all about the same age. There's this ongoing battle that already starts between Ammon, between Absalom, between Daniel. All these wars and battles are starting to take place. And David just kind of ignores all of it. He doesn't, he doesn't try to stop it. He doesn't get involved with it. He just kind of ignores it and, and acts like, if he'll ignore it, it'll go away. Now, David wasn't raised that way. David's dad was considered the most righteous man that existed. Now, because of his birth, David grew up thinking he was worthless. And so, kids show up. He don't know how to interact with them. He don't know how to have a relationship with them. And this constant struggle keeps happening on a regular basis. Well, now he gets this brand new house to live in. And, and and they go off to war, and David decides to stay home. His generals say, we, we got this one. You know, things going well. Won't you let us do this one by ourselves? So David stays home, and one evening, enjoying this new palace that has just been built, he's walking on the rooftops, and he looks over, and he sees a lady. And he sends his guards to get her. Now, it's quite obvious that David thought he had a right to do this. So he sent these guards to go get her. So David sends. And now David has walked into a stage of life that's going to cause him problems. Now, he's somewhere around 50 years of age at this time. This is not a young man. This is an older gentleman. When my friend, Brother Stone King, told me several years ago that the biggest struggle he ever had with his flesh was between the age of 50 and 60, I kind of laughed at him and said, Are you serious? He said, Yes. I never struggled with my flesh more in my life than I did between 50 and 60. I hit that 50-year-old mark. Hmm. He didn't tell half the story. Now, this flesh can cause you lots of problems. So here's David at this point in his life where everything's good and he's relaxing and he just stopped doing what he should have been doing. 
Now, he commits a sin. And that sin produces a child. When he discovers the child's involved, he tries to get the husband, one of his generals, to come home. And he does bring him back from the, 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 the war and tried to force him to go home and, and, and have a relationship with his wife. And he, he refused. And so now David has no other option other than to have him killed. And he sends a letter. When it gets to Joab, Joab's toes let the battle start and withdraw. And Uriah is not the only person that died in that battle. There were thousands of Israelites that died as a result of them withdrawing and leaving Uriah in the front. Now Uriah's dead. Now, after the woman grieves for her husband for a period of time, he marries her, thinking he's made it right. A child is born. See, we often think of the story as if the prophet gets there before the birth of the child, but that's not true. When you read the details carefully, he probably doesn't show up until the child is about one year of age. And he starts telling David a story. And it's the story of a wealthy man who had all kinds of things and large herds and, and a poor man who had one little lamb that he had raised as the pet of the family that, that they'd played with, they'd, they'd slept with. And, and the wealthy man took the, the, the pet of this poor family and killed it and fed it to his friends because he had the power and authority to do so. And David was enraged and the prophet said, Thou art the man. You're the one who caused this problem. And David starts repenting. That's where Psalms 51 comes from. It's David's prayer of repentance. When David recognized, I have sinned, and he took ownership, he then started changing his life, and he showed us how to do it. And when we look at that, we, we think that that should have been the end of it. But it's not. Because there's a child born after this one dies, and they name him Shamia or Shamua, which is the same word. And what's interesting about his name, his name literally, the, the root word means to hear. But as you vary the word, it goes from simply hearing to mean hearing about. Or it could be used of a rumor or gossip. So when the first child is born, they name that child gossip. Now David's got a problem. God has said, this is your problem. He took a little bit of ownership of it, but he still hadn't got through the junk. Because now he's looking at people and he's realizing people are figuring out what he did. And so apparently there's a lot of gossip going around. So just to get at Israel, he names this kid gossip, rumor. Then time goes on. Another child is born. His name is Shobad. And Shobad literally translates backsliding. David wasn't getting closer to God. He's getting away from God. You know when bad things show up in people's lives? It's just, it's incredible how often we want to blame it on God. And we want to make it God caused this to happen. No, I caused this to happen. God didn't produce this problem. I produced this problem. So now there's a time of backsliding in David's life. So the next one that shows up is not just a rumor. Now we've got process that everybody that sees the kid and they call him by name, they know that this is not really a good name. This is the one that's 
backsliding. Then the third one comes along. They name him Nathan. David gave him the name of the prophet that brought the message. It's at least five years down the road before the fifth kid shows up. And they name him Solomon, or the Hebrew word is Shalom, which means peace. But what's unique about this word peace that's used here, it is not an absence of trouble. The root of shalom means complete or whole or unbroken. And as the word is changed, it covers completeness, prosperity. It's not just a worldly state, but it's rather a state of completeness and harmony rather than dividedness. It took David five years to get to where he had peace in his life as a result of his problem. Why? Well, the biggest reason is he didn't have the Holy Ghost. And when flesh has to fix a problem using only the tools that flesh has, there's not a lot of good results. But as we stand on this side of the cross, with the power of the Holy Ghost in our life, and what God has given us, now we have an ability to not just fix it, but to repair it so that our lives are no longer controlled by the junk. So Paul can write to the same church that he writes that the peace of God shall keep your hearts and minds. To the church at Philippi, he writes that I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Because he discovered that his past was just how he got here. It was not a prediction of who he was or where he was going. It didn't define anything about him. It was just the roadmap of how he arrived at this point and that he decided that I'm going to forget those things that are behind, and I'm going to reach for these things which are before me. Now, that's not a young man. That is an 80 to 85, maybe a 90-year-old man making that statement. I'm still reaching for what's in front of me. Now, he knows that Nero has sentenced him to death, but that doesn't keep him from reaching to what's in front. The Holy Ghost is not our janitor. I remember as a kid hearing Pentecostals say, you need to get the Holy Ghost. It'll change you. It'll make a different person out of you. And I've lived long enough to discover that if you were a jerk before you got the Holy Ghost, you're just going to be a jerk with the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost is not going to fix your jerkiness. It's going to power you, but you've got to make a decision. And the decision is, I am not going to spend five years trying to get peace. I'm not going to spend my life trying to get peace when I have the peacemaker living inside of me and that he surrounded my life. So all I've got to do is start Walking in peace because the scripture says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. If you get the Holy Ghost, then the things that come with it are righteousness, peace, and joy. Those are the three things that will show up in your life when you get the Holy Ghost. You'll start trying to do the right thing. You'll start trying to figure out what the right thing is to do. You'll, you'll let your conscience speak when you really get the Holy Ghost. You'll let your conscience start directing your life. You won't need somebody to stand up and tell you not to do something. You empower the Holy Ghost to preach to you, and He'll keep you out of places you shouldn't be. He'll keep you from doing things you shouldn't do. Because it'll, it'll talk to you. 
It'll speak to you and it'll help you to become a totally different person because that's the purpose of the Holy Ghost. It's going to lead and guide you in all truth, remind you of what I said, teach you all things. There's not one scripture anywhere that indicates the Holy Ghost is a janitor that cleans people's life up. The Holy Ghost, don't go around the dustpan broom fixing you or making your life better. If I want my life to be better, then I've got to leave yesterday alone, and I've got to get out of what's back there because most of the time, it's a lie. Now, you heard last week that because of traumatic events, memories can be etched in the brain 100% of a memory. But all research says that your memories are fluid and you keep changing them to match your environment. And nobody can say, I have 100% that this is what happened. None of us. We don't have that ability. It's easy to prove. Get your brothers and sisters together and ask somebody to pick out a subject that happened and have everybody give their opinion of what took place. Find out how many stories you get. You won't get the same story. Because everybody remembers things according to their bias. Not the way facts happen. But our world's telling us, go live in your past. It'll help you out. It'll, it'll make a better person out of you. No, it will only wreck your life. You can't change it. You can't fix it. You can't back it up. You can't rehearse it. There's not a better outcome. There's not a different outcome. It's over. It's over. There's no beam me up, Scotty. There's no time machine transport you back and get all this stuff fixed in an order. It's not going to happen. The only option you have to get out of the past is forgive it and let it go, or it will control you and drag you in the pit the rest of your life. Because the instant that you don't forgive it and you don't let it go, it will consume you, it will dictate your life, and it will destroy you, and you'll become an incredibly bitter person as a result of trying to hold on to stuff because you don't understand what they did to me. It doesn't matter. You can't change it. It's not changeable. It's over. So what I can do is make a choice. Am, am I going to spend my life trying to, to justify? And so the first one, we're, we're going to just talk about everything's a rumor. And then the next thing we're going to talk about is is everybody's backsliding. That's forcing putting the guilt on everybody else. You know, you got all these problems and everybody's and then we're going to name the next one after prophet that brought the message. By the way, Nathan is who Jesus came through, not Solomon. Solomon is not in the lineage of Jesus. Now, if you read the book of Matthew, he is. But Matthew's given Joseph's lineage, not Mary's. When you read the book of Luke and you follow Mary's lineage, it goes through Nathan, not Solomon. Am I going to let my past define my life? Or am I going to let the Holy Ghost empower me to define my life? Wouldn't it be a whole lot better if you and I just started looking at life a whole lot differently and get up every morning and say, all right, God, I'm tired of living back there. Let's live right here. And I know your desire is to change and save this world. So what part of the devil's territory do you need real range today? Just point me in a direction because I, I want to find somebody that I can really mess his world up with. And I can I can talk to somebody and change their way of thinking and, and help them understand that there's you, you can live a better life than the life you're living. You can live a life of overcoming. You, you don't have to be controlled by yesterday's junk. Yeah, it might be there. That don't change who you are. That doesn't make you some evil person because there's junk back there. That doesn't make you broke, dirty, damaged, or worthless. When he filled you with his spirit, 
You become a brand new person. Now you get a brand new life. Now you get to rewrite the rest of your life. The world could have said you're going to be a loser because that's all that's going to happen to you and you're going to become all that. But now with the Holy Ghost, I can become all things. I, with the Holy Ghost, can become a righteous person. I, with the Holy Ghost, can become a peaceful person. I, with the Holy Ghost, can become a joyful person. As I travel America and I look at congregations, it appears to me that Pentecostals eat limes for breakfast, lemons for lunch, grapefruits for supper. Because it's the most difficult thing to do is get them to put a smile on their face. Now, if I'm going to convince my world what I have will change their life, I'm not sure you're going to be able to do that if you don't change the face. And you change the face by deciding not to live in yesterday and keep dragging the stuff up. But choose to live in today and start facing your tomorrow and let God give you a direction on where you're going. Because he knows the path I take. He's He's acquainted with all my ways. Lo, I am with you always. Even to, There's no place I'm going that God's not going to follow me. He's going to be there. So if he is, then I have the ability or choice tonight to make a decision. Am I going to start turning around and, 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 and trying to get answers? Folks, I, there are no answers to some stuff. There's just no answers. I, I, there's nobody can answer what happened. Why do you need an answer? Why, why do people do bad things? They choose to. That's the only answer I've got. They enjoy being a jerk. And I got a problem with that because I've discovered I enjoy being a jerk too. Because <laughs> it keeps showing up on a regular basis. And I, I think I got it whipped and it just shows back up and the jerk comes home. And so my choice is, am I going to live a victorious life? Because the New Testament declared, Old Testament they didn't have the Holy Ghost. So you look at their life and say, wow, David never got past it. It affected Solomon because Solomon's now saying, who can, uh, the spirit of man can sustain his infirmity, but a wounded spirit, who can bear? Who's he talking about? Dad. What happened to dad's life? But we don't have to become that. We can change our life. Why? Because now God lives inside of us. The Holy Ghost has become part of my life. And when God's Spirit becomes part of me, now I have the same Spirit that stood on the bow of a boat in the middle of the Galilean Sea or lake and screamed at the top of his voice, Shut up, wind! And the wind quit blowing instantly. And there was peace there because he wasn't going to let one storm wreck his life. Yeah, that's the Holy Ghost that lives inside of you. It's the same Holy Ghost that I instantly was on shore and out of the darkness comes a man screaming and throws himself at Jesus' feet and starts worshiping him and Jesus cast out a legion, at least 6,000 devils out of that man and released him. So that's what's inside of me. That's what's inside of you. That same DNA that produced all those things then is here and we can do it today, but it's not happening because we spend too much of our time trying to find out how to get better answers about yesterday. And those answers don't exist. You want a better life? Act like Paul. I have not quite apprehended that which I'm apprehended of. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind, pressing towards those things which are before me. You say, Brother Hughes, I, I can't help myself. I'm just pessimistic by nature. Now you're lying. I understand task-oriented people, loners, have a tendency to be pessimistic. And there is no one a bigger loner than me. No one. I can fly 18 hours on a plane and never say a word to the person beside me. 
I don't mess with their life. I don't want them messing with me. I act like I'm asleep. I don't need their life story. I just, I like being alone. I don't like being interrupted. I just, now my nature says to be a pessimist, but the Holy Ghost in me won't let that happen. I can't stand it. That's the most irritating thing that ever happens in, in my life is for me to encounter a pessimist. I will probably tick you off really fast. Cause there's just no reason for Pentecostal spirit-filled people to live a pessimistic lifestyle. There's no reason. You got the Holy Ghost. You got the power of God inside of you that gives you authority and gives you the ability to take charge in situation and, and change the outcome. We have that ability. It's in us. I think my brother shared with you what happened last or week before last. A few weeks ago, I, my friend called me, and I, 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 they're part of a, a group that loans money to churches, and I'll help do a lot of church plans for them. And he called me one day. I thought he was calling me about a project, and he said, uh, "James, I, I just I, I need to talk to you." It's okay. What's wrong? Uh, we just left the doctor's office and my wife uh, has cancer and it appears to be pretty extensive. The biopsy came back. It's a carcinoma and there's not one. There's, there's lots of them. He said, I know that you Pentecostals know how to pray. Would you pray for my wife? I said, Johnny, I'd be delighted to pray for your wife. So we, I prayed for his wife. Now, I, I'm not anybody special, but I am a king's kid, and I have the right to use his name. And he honors that. They had an appointment on Wednesday to do a special biopsy where they use a core biopsy with a needle almost a quarter inch in diameter that they'd insert and take out more so they could get a better picture. And so they, they went Wednesday. He calls me Thursday and he said, James, you're not going to believe this. So what's wrong? He said, they can't find one ounce of cancer anywhere in my wife's body. The tumors are gone. Everything else is gone. Why? Because I serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I, I serve the Father of creation. I, I serve the greatest Father that exists. And He has given me the privilege and the authority to use that name any way I want to use it. Any time I want to use it. And He will honor it because Jesus declared... Whatever you ask in my name, I might do it, possibly. So what it says in John 14? No, I will do it. Now, it might not be on my time schedule, but I can guarantee you, when I ask, something's going to start taking place. Because I'm not going to live my life back here if I'm living my life back here, then God can't use me to affect what's out here. But if I start living my life looking at what's out here, then I have the ability and authority at that point to start changing the world that's around me because he gives me that power. So I challenge you, Pentecostals, when you get up in the morning, would you ask God what part of the devil's territory he needs rearranged tomorrow? What, 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 would anybody here take the challenge? You know what? I, I, I'm just going to do it. Tomorrow when I get up, I'm going to say, all right, Jesus, what part uh, of Satan's territory? He, he's, he caused your kids problem 4,000 years. Just give me an opportunity to give him a bad day. I just need a little bit of a space. Just kind of put me in the direction. I want to wreck his life today. Would you give me the privilege of wrecking his life today? Would, would you let me show him armor? 
that your word implies you took from him because you said when a strong man keeps his house, his goods are at peace. But when a stronger comes, he takes his house and the armor wherein he trusteth and he divides the spoils. So your word implies that you took his armor and gave it to me so I could remind him of what he lost. So I just want to show up with the armor on and give him a little bit of uh, of what he's done to people since the beginning of time. And I want to remind him where he's going, what's happening in his life, that he doesn't have this authority or power to do these things to us. Some of you are terrified. You think I've stirred the devil up, and tomorrow he's going to show up and wreck your life. Yeah, it's written all over your face. Some of you look like you're... What happened to our faith? Have we lived in this world so long we've let it contaminate us, so we, we don't think God has the ability to do these things anymore? What's happened? If I get out of the past and I start facing the future, then I become a vessel he can use to change the world around me. If I stand spend my life looking at all this junk, how am I going to get to the future? I can't. So I discovered I just like to torment him. Every day I prayed that prayer God sent somebody along for me to talk to. Every day. And it's been so rewarding to see their faces change when you start talking to them about what God can do. And you start helping them realize, you know what? I don't have to live in this stuff. I, I don't have to be controlled. I, I have power over this. What I can't pray out, I can forgive out. So <laughs> it's either one or two. You either pray through over it or forgive it. And those two things will solve most problems in anybody's life. Matter of fact, they'll solve all problems in everybody's life. Forgiveness and praying through. Getting myself under control, my attitude, my desires, getting my flesh control. I get the flesh out of the way, God starts showing up and operating on a regular basis. But I gotta get the flesh out of the way. So do you. So, any, any, any volunteers? Anybody gonna say, okay, tomorrow morning when I get out of bed, first prayer, I'm gonna pray. All right, God, what part? Of the devil's territory, would you need rear range today? What what part? Well, just just kind of give, clue me in, point me in the direction of somebody, because I want to see him suffer. I want to see him torment. He tormented your kids long enough. Now let's just turn it on him, because he's lost it all. I will choose to be victorious. I can do all things. There's what can separate me from the love of God. Tribulation, trial, persecution, our angels, principalities, our power. What can separate us? Nothing. Nothing. Please stand. Gracious Father, thank you for your incredible word. Thank you, Lord. That in your word, you did not hide any problems. But your word has recorded every detail that every one of us needs to be an overcomer. You show us examples of how it's done. Your word tells us about life. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you for the right and the authority to use your name. Thank you for giving me the right because I was buried in your name and that name was called on me in baptism. And I was buried in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of my sin. Because I'm buried in your name, I now have the authority to use your name. Thank you for entrusting me with the power to use your name. Lord, I pray that we as your kids would finally figure out just how Special we are to you and how much power and authority you have given us to change our world. Help us to have a revelation today. I'm your kid. You love me more than I can ever comprehend. Your peace surrounds my life so enemies can't wreck me, can't destroy my brain, my mind, can't put thoughts there, can't bring up, drag up things from the past. 
But this flesh I live in, it likes to do that. So now that I know where the war is at, I can address the issue. And I can battle with this flesh. I can bring it under control. I can make it worship. I can make it pray. I can make it fast. I can make it read your word. I can make it repent. It has no choice but to do what I make it do. So it's not going to control my life. I will choose to become an overcomer. I will choose to walk after the Spirit, not after the flesh. I'll choose to change my life. Would you bless your people today? In Jesus' name. Would you worship him?